Hey everyone, welcome to the In Call Out Call podcast, a podcast that focuses on black men involved in sex work, hosted by me, Dennis Hardy. Throughout the season, we'll be covering everything from struggles to experiences and everything in between. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to In Call, Out Call podcast. Today, we are still practicing social distancing, so we are recording via the internet, but we have a really interesting topic for y'all. In 1998 and 1999, there was really this major shift in pornography and Black porn in particular that really changed the way we view porn now. And here to talk about that with me is my good friend, Daddy Rod. Welcome. Hey there. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. I'm ready to talk about sex and porn. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So before we jump in, how about you tell us like what the the film was about or like how it set itself up? Okay. The movie, like you said, debuted in 1998. It was pretty much chronicling young, urban, Black and Latino men in the New York area. And right when this film came out, there was, I say about a year before this film came out, these sex parties geared for Black and Latino men that initially started off in the New York area. Then it kind of was very popular in the Northeast. So off the hook, pretty much the basis of the movie was these young men doing their daily lives, going to work, going to school or whatever, but they're going to meet up that night for the Latino sex parties. And it was a very transformational point in the sense of porn because it was, I think, the first time you really saw us porn connoisseurs like myself, you really saw a different side of Black and Latino men that wasn't kind of what's the word I'm trying to say, kind of put out by more mainstream white porn companies and being shot like in California or Florida. And it kind of, I won't say it was very, let's just say it just, it gave a one very singular view of black men at that time. So seeing another side of it kind of resonated with the, the overall gay and by men of color population. So when it hit, it, it was very, very popular. <laughs> right, right. I want to come back to that Latino like, sex party thing a little bit later. But before you get there, I want to just talk about how this film was different from other films. And particularly, I'm thinking about, you know, throughout the 90s, we had such big figures and into 2001, you know, like Bobby Blake or like uh, Flex Dion and, and, you know, Gene Lamar. How is this film different from those people? And you already touched on a little bit, but I just want to dive a little bit. Well, as those gentlemen, and I would even go further back, if, if you remember, and some of my, probably some of your listeners remember, maybe uh, Randy Cochran and Ty Jones and, like you said, Gene Lamar. And they were not older, but more in the, like in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, even some in their 40s. So you didn't see that younger demographic. And again, being that most of these films at that time, with those some of those porn stars that you mentioned, were shot either in L.A., Las Vegas or Florida. So, you know, it gave this view that like all these black men live like in California and it just kind of gave a very singular view of black and Latino men at that time. So when you had, you know, coming out with Off the Hook, again, you're, you're touching more of a younger generation, the early teens to mid 20s. And then you got to bring in hip hop was very popular. It was at its apex, I would say at that time. It touched a nerve with a lot of people. It's like, I know people like him. 
this is where, you know, if I'm, let's say, we're raised in Harlem, I was like, I know that guy or I know guys like him. So they could relate. So it was, you know, I, I don't want to go speak too far into what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about probably talk about it a little bit later. But this at the same time was when the Internet was just starting. The Internet really pushed it out there and it caught on like wildfire. I mean, it was just so popular. <laughs> I love that you brought like the ages, right? Like so when Bobby Blake comes into porn, he's like in his early 30s. Yeah. He's like Gene Lamar and everybody. And, you know, when Off the Hooks happens, you know, everybody is like, like I think Tiger Tyson is only like 20. Yeah, he's like 19 or 20. Yeah. He's like 19 or 20. And everybody in the film is throughout that age. And it's really interesting to me that they decided to do that because throughout the 90s, you really had like, so there was the Bush administration, you know, H.W. Bush, who had like this really strong stance on porn. And then Clinton comes in, you know, with the rise of the internet, like like you talk about, and they really start to focus on, we're going to go after like child porn and and things that reflect that. So as you see, so you have like these older guys doing this porn. And at the same time, it's like, we're going to come in a different direction and and get even younger after these bills are passed. So it's kind of like this social anxiety happening where, it's like we don't want to see young people, but at the same time, it's like fueling this this desire to like see younger people like reflected in porn. And so that that was really like that was really a shift there. And and also like you said, it was it was a shift of demographic, right? It was like who who do who do we now imagine as the viewers? Who do we think that are the people who are going to be consuming this? Where and I'm not sure. I, I personally like haven't watched Bobby Blake's porn for like entertainment. It was like more like research. Um, <laughs> like, let me see what was happening back then. I'm like, child, who's believing this? Well, this was pushed by a narrative by mainly white men. He was fetishized. Cause you know, if you looked at a lot of his movies from the research lens, he fit that mold of that big burly black man, you know, with the, you know, the BBC, you know, you know what I mean? So he fit that mold for a lot of consumers. And you got to think on the, in the sense of the dollar signs, it was a lot of older white men who said, oh, this is what I like. But then yet you had, at that time when Off the came out, I was in my mid twenties. So I knew guys like him, but yet I knew guys like my age or younger who was like, I can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. So when Enrique Cruz came out with his company, it was also groundbreaking in the fact that it was, I think it was the second minority-owned porn company at that time. Well, yeah, really at that time, because before that was a company, and this is really dating myself, the late 80s, early 90s, there was a company called Black Forest Productions, which was run by a black man. But between Black Forest Productions and Enrique Cruz, there were no porn companies owned by people of color. So here you have a young Latino guy out of New York, create his his company, Enrique Cruz, or at the time it was called La Mancha. And here he's presented a new face of Black and Latino men. And he also presented a different kind of beauty that we weren't used to. It's like, yes, there's twinks and kind of like toned muscular guys and the urban thug guys who are beautiful in a lot of people's eyes and not like a Bobby Blake or a J.C. Carter or a Gene Lamar. So you had that. If you didn't like them, you can go to Enrique Cruz. So it, it there was a market for it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think one thing that really stood out for me in the film is, like you said, they were speaking to people who like you, who are around you, who are like, who are, you know, same demographic you being in your mid, mid twenties. But then it, it almost like foreshadows this idea of like DL, you know, masculinity that would like, you know, and then, and then 
because then you get into the 2000s and then it's like, you know, it's like DL everything. It's like we're trying to like sort out who is DL. But they were already like having that conversation and figuring out like what sex between two men looks like behind closed doors. And I thought that was interesting too. In a lot of the scenes, it was like you would see the doors closed. It would be like, this is obviously a room. It's obviously cut off from the rest of the world where it's like, you know, you watch Bobby Blake and it's like these big places like it's like sex happening for somebody else where this this seemed a little more private and so i think it gave us like a little bit of critique of like space and like the spaces that black men like fucking and i think that's important because a lot of times it's, it's like you know we just want to talk about like sex and like having having sex but like the spaces that we often get to come together or like kind of con- you know work on us in a certain way it's funny you mentioned that because the beauty of his movies were, again, it, it showed a different light. And since we just saw men of color that pretty much a lot of us probably know, you know, no men like them, but were afraid to kind of put themselves out there like that. Unfortunately, though, it kind of, and he probably didn't know this at the time, but it kind of did start that DL narrative. And because like you say, if you notice, if you really watch the films in some of those, some of the scenes, like some of them had like had a girlfriend. So they had to sneak away. Mm-hmm. To do their freaking. <laughs> and uh, then outside of porn, then you had the kind of, you know, this. Now, mind you, this was at the same time that HIV AIDS was still very the hot topic. And I give kudos to the company for always promoting safe sex in their movies. But you had this still talk, especially with black men who were still dying of HIV. And then they saw these movies where guys were cheating on their girlfriends. And that's where that DL narrative really started to kick in. And then, of course, you had the book from J.L. King and everything else. And it just really, it really took a, a life in itself after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, you, you kind of brought it up. I want to touch on, like, the sex, the sex that we were seeing. You brought up the fact that, like, HIV was still a major topic of discussion, especially for the men of color who were having sex with other men. Yeah. What stood out to you about the sex they were having? Because a lot stood out for me. <laughs> well, one thing that I really did enjoy... Again, they were all wearing condoms, which was great. Because again, I'm about the visual. So if you want to promote safe sex, make sure your mom's, you know, wearing condoms and everything like that, which was good. And I remember at the time this movie was out and they were, a lot of some of the stars were at Black Prides. You know, they would be at the, working with organizations. I think like in New York, it was Us Helping Us or GMAD or whatever like that to promote safe sex. So it was great in that aspect. And also it just, you could kind of see in a way... For me, this is from my eyes, a lot of the younger guys really coming into their sexuality a lot easier than, let's say, I was in my late teens. Because my late teens, I was, it was like it was like the late 80s. So you really didn't have those, a lot of visuals of men of color just celebrating their gayness. So then when you had Off the Hook come out, you could just see this freedom that in a way from these sex parties, like I can just live my life in a way. I'm not ashamed to be gay or bisexual or whatever like that. And that was a beautiful thing to see. You know, and I will admit when those movies came out and I don't know how you were at that time, but those Latino sex parties were, I mean, they were like iconic. I mean, when at the time when I, when these came out, I was living in California and I know people from like LA and the Bay who would literally fly to New York or DC specifically for the Latino sex parties. <laughs> Cause it was just their way to be with their community and just have just, just, just feeling free and just sexual. And it was just great. A lot of them told me they, a lot of the condoms were there and they were using them and stuff. So they felt like, okay, you know, we're cool, but you always didn't know in the back of your mind, like, okay, HIV is still there. So let me just, you know, be protected or whatever like that, but I'm still going to do my thing. So it was, it was a good thing. So yeah. <laughs> I think what stood out to me about, like I said, it was a, a few things. 
I'm particularly interested in like the cum shots. And so <laughs> and so after, you know, they they would, you know, do what they do, they're fucking. And, you know, they would come and they're like, they're gonna come on your shoulder or they're gonna come on like your the middle of your back, not the lower part of your back, or on your leg or something like that. And I can't help but go back to like you know, like Essex and think about like this fear of like come and what that symbolized at that time. So you didn't get any images of like, there was no, there wasn't like at one point, some this guy is sucking this other guy's dick and the guy's about to come. And it's like the camera moves in a way so you don't see him like ingesting it. It was like, you can only assume that's what happened. But at any other time, it's like in these places, I'm like, if I was having sex and if you came on my shoulder, I'm like, oh, you're not coming over again. Like, why would you come over? <laughs> at the time, it's like, you know, it, it was like that that fear. And then also that represent, you know, uh, presenting that. It was like, you know, we couldn't do that. I um, never thought about I never looked at it in that way. And it's funny you mentioned that. I'll, I'll start looking at it again and seeing that for myself. Because I, I didn't really pay attention to that. You know, I really didn't. Child, you know, that's my thing, so I pay attention. I'm like, what's going to What's the end going to look like? Well, you know, I guess if you look at it in that way, you know, since, you know, now that raw sex is so common now, you know, everyone's rating each other and everything else. But, you know, back then, everyone wore condoms, so you had to take it off. And then I guess, depending on who you dealt with, if they liked, if they liked facials or liked it on their chest or their booty or whatever, I guess it was their prerogative. I don't know, so... You brought me around to my other point. And I'm thinking about it in terms of like thinking about what I see now and what and like how it's different from then. You would have these shots of like, I don't know like how I'm going to say this on the, I guess I already cursed. So booty holes, right? So like there would be like these quick glimpses into somebody's butt and like, you know, and like booty hole. And it was like, it, but it was quick. And like, I, I juxtapose that to now when we have like this emphasis on breeding and raw sex. And I think about Tim Dean and like this need to like see and visualize into the body and come and how that was absent there. And again, that was all about this idea of like HIV and not wanting to peer into somebody or to like keep the bodies like separate in a type of way. So all all that was really interesting to me as as I was watching it. And again, that's also because, you know, that's the person what I like. I'm like, well, yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) I guess I looked at it differently because I, I, even though they were like quick shots of the booty hole, I just liked it because, you know, again, Again, if you compare it to a lot of the white studios, mm-hmm. you rarely at that time you rarely saw a lot of hairy black men or Latino men who like had hairy holes or hairy booties and stuff like that. So when you would see like some of their models with like hairs on their ass and their cheeks and I mean in a butt crack, I was like, oh my god! You know, for most of us who like that, you're like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know how many times we can say booty hole and, and still have the show going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Latino sex parties, which was a, a major part of this story. And like you already said, Sean, it was it was a, a big gathering exclusively for Black and Latino men, mostly in the Northeast. I know Bobby Blake talks about it in his book. Sometimes it'll be in Atlanta, sometimes DC, but mostly like New York. Did you go to any of those? No, actually, I didn't. You know, because. At that time, I was a pure thing. I didn't really do stuff like that. <laughs> now, I, I lived vicariously through others. But at that time, I was still very new to sex. And just to be in a space where like a group of men that I didn't know, I was just like, oh, hell no. Let me tell you, like I said, I live vicariously through other people's stories. And they just, what I heard was quite amazing. <laughs> did they ever tell you what that experience did for them? Because it had to do, it had to do something. Like we're going to put it in this movie. And it's like a major part of the film is like this sex party we're, we're, we're building up to a sex party and then you get to witness what happens at this sex party and 
so that was doing and, and the popularity of it. I can only speak from my experience. For the guys who I know who lived in, like, if not the Bay Area, L.A. area, those parties were very popular because, you know, California doesn't have a huge black population. So to go to these parties, you know, usually they, they were usually timed around black pride as well. So people go to New York Black Pride or D.C. or Chicago, or Atlanta and everything like that, but mainly New York's. And it was just their way to get their life because since they couldn't get sex like that from black men in the Bay Area or L.A. because a lot of them were mainly into white men, this was their outlet. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, when they were announced via the internet and at that time, and I'm really again dating myself, AOL chat lines. And I think at the time they had like, I think Black Planet was just starting. <laughs> People flocked to them. So it was, it was just like, again, their outlet. And I guess in a way, uh, again, I'm just exploring this, you know, exploring the sexuality more and just tapping into new things. And I think with the movie, and we'll probably get into this later. I'll let you lead the discussion. I think. Hip hop at that time was so popular. So a lot of gay men were seeking that kind of very hyper masculine kind of black man or Latino man. And that's kind of what that movie kind of put out. So they would flock to like New York and DC to find men like that at those parties. Because again, if you come from California, you rarely saw that unless you lived in Compton or South Central. So that was another reason why those parties were so popular. And yeah, so it was, it was, it was, it was a thing back in the day. <laughs> I want to talk about, let, let's talk about the hip hop and like you said, the very particular types of masculinity that that's like a New York type of masculinity. But then I also want to talk about the idea of like Blatino and like how that becomes so popular at that time. Because when a movie comes out for me, I'm still in elementary school. But by the time I get to high school, Blatino is still a thing. It's still like a racial category. You put on, back then it was BGC. That's why I started mm-hmm. on BGC, like I'm Blatino. And like, where is it at now? So I guess let, let's do let's do it. <laughs> I'm not saying nobody can claim it. If you know you, if that's how you identify, you know you claim it. Now that next, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it was coming up in the time of like hip hop, and this isn't like almost a decade after NWA comes out. But then you have so many artists and hip hop like really becoming a mainstream thing. How did this turn that conversation about like who's involved in like gay culture or you know black gay culture or like just black men having sex with men? Well, mm, wow, how can I say this? Because I think what the beauty of Off the Hook was, it was mimicking what was going on mainstream, how hip hop was just literally in every aspect from clothing to music to shows and movies. So it was just like everywhere. And like you said, the gangster hip hop really started to kick in California, I think early 90s or whatever. But, you know, at that time, you know, people still kind of had, was leaning more to the East Coast hip hop because they just had a different vibe. And I think with Off the Hook, and I guess that term Blatino, you know, at the time it was just a cute catchphrase word because again, it was a good, cause you, you, at those parties, you had a mixture of black and Latino men. So they just called it Latino. And again, for those who already lived in those areas, they can identify. So it was like, okay. And I think for people seeing themselves in porn, that was so opposite from that white laced image of black men and Latino men who usually craved for other white men or whatever. Those movies were like, ugh. And a lot of men were seeking other men like themselves. And that at that time, Enrique Cruz was presenting that different kind of look that we were looking for. Not look, maybe that, that's not the right word, but you know, just a different image of us. And also saying, yes, there's black people and Latino live in California, Florida, but there's younger black men who live in the urban cities and other, you know, like Atlanta, DC, New York, whatever. And we're gay and bisexual and we love each other. And for 
I think ooh, I'm trying to answer your question. I don't know if I did or not, but I know for what I noticed was I don't know how to explain it. It was just kind of like because you had it, you know you had some black people who really loved seeing it, but they they kind of didn't like all that hyper masculinity, which unfortunately a lot of hip hop was putting out there. So like you know, because it's funny you, you and you probably noticed it too. You being you you being in an industry and stuff that guys put out this image like they're thuggish and hard and you know saying all these words to kind of give this hyper masculine, but then turn off the cameras and like ooh girl, and you're like whoa. Wait a minute, what happened? So, you know, so people would go to New York thinking they would see what they saw in those movies. And they, in essence, they did. But they realized, oh, well, they're like me too. They'll snap their fingers and they're like, girl, you looking good, blah, blah, blah. And it just, I don't know, it was just a unique kind of blend of stuff going on at the same time. It's kind of hard to explain, but it was, it was, it was, it was different. <laughs> so I can tell you. You know, at the end of Off the Hook 2, they do like they. It's like a documentary of like chaos, and he's in the studio. First of all, chaos was fine. And I don't oh know yeah! Who, oh my god! Yeah, who that man is now. I don't know what he's doing, but if I he was in jail, and I don't know if he's out of jail now, but he was in jail for a while. <laughs> Bro, that's fine too. I gotta play. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just before you get started, it's funny though that these movies really made some iconic porn stars in the Black Latino era. I mean, it's like Tiger Tyson mm-hmm. and Chaos. And I think even though we're not talking about this movie, but the infamous Jeep scene in Apprende. Yep. So, I mean, you got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, he, I think the guy who who, who was doing the um, set in the top, the top in the movie, who had that, tat, that scorpion tattoo on his penis. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name, but I mean, he was just like thrusted. He was like this icon. And I can't tell you how many black men and Latinos was like, I got to find him. I got to find someone like him. Right. It, it creates this whole, like it, the way it structures our desires. It's like, first of all, I think like chaos and the whole hip hop thing, it was like, it points out like how gay hip hop is. Like, oh my God. Yes. How much like this hyper masculinity like requires a level of like gay ass shit. And yes. how, you know, maybe in real life it gets like, you know, a homosocial network, like, it, you know, it gets this, you know, it gets pushed through women, but directed towards men. Mm-hmm. Like in the film, it was just like, here's two men, it's hip hop. There was like a, a thing at the studio. He won, Chaos wanted to get fixed. And then like Chaos was fucking him in the studio. <laughs> See, uh, and, and that resonated with a lot of people because everyone kind of, even though they weren't saying it, well, some people were, but. They was like, this is mimicking Puffy Combs. What happens with all those people? It's like, yeah, we heard people do like that with Puffy Combs. (laughs) People could relate to it. That's why it was so popular. Because it it was just like, okay, I'm pretty sure, you know, Puffy's doing that with Mace. And I mean, it was just out there like that. And I was just like, oh, boy. (laughs) This episode will be continued in part two.